Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and beer makes us incoherent. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. We're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are reading Trout Fishing in America by Richard Brodigan, and starting with the beer. This is a beer from Evil Twin NYC, and it is a gosa with watermelon and pomegranate that's called, Does Watermelon and Pomegranate Really Work? Let's see. <laughs> They're reddish. Not really. I <laughs> like this fucking book. That's my connection. <laughs> I take it you've had this beer before then. I have. I, I bought a four-pack of this at the start of quarantine, <laughs> and I've still, I say, I was like... Oh God, I didn't like that at all. I still have like three. I still like, I still have three of the cans, like or whatever. This is the second can I'm drinking. The other ones are just keeping the fridge walls up or something. I don't know what they're ever going to do. They're, it's, this is not. I don't like this at all. Sorry. I think whoever named it also thought the same thing. Yeah, it, it is. It is a. Isn't that the about, rule of uh, headlines? If it's a question, the answer is no. Is that a rule? That is the rule with academic papers. Mm. If it's a question. I think it's also news no. news headlines also. It's not a rule, but it's like a, you know, a trope, maybe. I don't like this. Just like the book. It's a short, short-ass book. So I was like, sweet. I'll pump this right out. It is a novella written and published of, in 1967. Written uh, a little earlier in the earlier 60s. And at the, apparently at the time, it was a, a big bestseller, you know, thing, popular book. Widely read. Now, not quite as much, I suppose. Though, two people did recommend this to us. One being Daniel, one of our patrons. So, thank you, Daniel. The other guy being Murph, who doesn't give us money. So, fuck you for making us read this, Murph. <laughs> um, but also, just a you know, reminder that we we are whores. And if you ask us to d- read a book, we're and almost certainly going to do sometimes it. Sometimes sluts. I guess we're always sluts because we'll read any book someone suggests, but if they give us money, then we'll we'll read it and cup the balls. <laughs> uh, so it is a trippy, weird book. There is no real plot to it. There is no... Now, when you say there's no real plot, do you mean there is no plot? Because I think there's no plot. <laughs> so I'm, I, I, I think I did, so, too. I did no research into this, which I realized was a bad idea. This is not the kind of book you could just pick up and read. I thought the research was way more interesting than the actual oh, book. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, the book... Uh, well, let's save our overall criticisms, I suppose, for the end. Uh, okay, I think what we should we just start describe... <laughs> I think we should describe a little bit some of the context, though. All right, Just fine. because... Okay, so this was written in the early 60s, according to one of the things I read, which was basically Richard Brodigan's website. I, Jimmy sent this to us. Basically, he 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 was trying to write something that he described it as a a prose poem, and it was also very influenced by the beat by the beat generation, but also not quite the hippie generation. But it, it was it was also meant to be. He was right in the taint, <laughs> exactly right <laughs> in there. Uh, it was meant to, you know, defy conventions and uh just generally be really different and was clearly, it was only hinted at even in the description, but about the drug culture, but clearly this guy was doing a lot of acid <laughs> while he was writing the book. So I, one, I read from his biography that he was, you know, he was a young guy when he wrote this book. He was like late twenties 
living in the Haight Ashbury section of uh, San Francisco. So that's like bedrock hippie, you know, ground zero for the hippie movement. So drugs were rampant. And there's also a lot of stuff in this book where he just randomly bangs women in weird circumstances. <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> and I, I wonder, I don't know if I'm, this is a stretch to assume there is some sort of free love kind of thing there or open to sexual encounters. I have a feeling that's why it became popular once it was published in 1967. But in 1960 or the same reason why sex became popular. (laughs) It was a real, this is is pretty good. (laughs) It's like pizza. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if, well, first off, why did, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this. Why would he wait? Like, Five years to publish it, other than no publisher publish wouldn't it. do it because <laughs> they wouldn't do it because it's <laughs> fucking. It has no plot or characters or uh, coherent anything. A lot of it felt like a Mad Libs, where the only thing <laughs> he put in was trout fishing in America. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, like you read a passage and it's like he went to a very trout fishing in America <laughs> restaurant. And you're like, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, like, no, yeah. it has to be an adjective. Not trout fishing in America is an adjective too. It 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 is a noun, adjective, and verb throughout this. He put on his pants trout fishing in America. Lee, <laughs> <laughs> it's an adverb now. He also wrote most of it on a camping trip, which is like he basically took events that really happened to him. Like, yo, I talked to this guy. Oh, this thing happened, and pretty much put it into the book in a very weird format. We we should say that uh, this is our first real foray into the beat or beat adjacent movements offbeat i don't know if that's a thing <laughs> offbeat that's an yeah, interesting offbeat, term yeah. you've coined right yeah. there i <laughs> think that'll I, I think that'll catch on yeah yes yeah, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the dictionary people um but we are doing one more uh at the end of the month this is book this is coming out but all the poll choices were Wait, way we more straightforward yes the end of this month will be the we beat 2020 because this is 2021. So oh, okay. all the choices are beat books, and they're all way more uh, straightforward than this. So this was perhaps a poor choice for the first book of this genre or era that we're going to do, because it was... It was so this hard... is our first book of the new year? Sorry. No, 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 this is our first book. This is our first book of this movement. The first, like, it's our, our first, first beat, beat book. book. Or it's, it's, right. it's kind of in between beat and hippie, as you so said. I, I'll be... Def- I think... And as teenagers, we probably had some beat mags. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those were different. This is our first time doing this beat book here. Those also didn't have a plot. <laughs> Sometimes they did. <laughs> Shit, is she going to graduate nursing school or not? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> but the point of those things were all those, a lot of them were nonfiction or like loose fiction, but they were, you know, it was a very much like a counterculture, like defying the conventions of what had come before because as they saw it, Everything sucked, so let's do things our own way. Fuck this. And they're kind of just vagabonds. Let's also abuse a lot of drugs and alcohol while we do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not unique to writers from this era. But, yeah. (laughs) They write more about it. They think it's cooler. All right. Well, yeah, this probably is not the best one to read first or even 13th because (laughs) it 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 is weird as fuck. And unless you know a tremendous amount about the context of like when this this movement of sorts existed, 
Which if the Beats though is like a fifties thing. Yeah, this guy. Yeah. Came, this came out like after the Beat was big. But so, like, but he before. wrote it in nineteen sixty. So yes. this was like still that became a thing, and he was just kind of following that movement. He wrote this and a bunch of other, like a f- two or three other books, and the publishers are like, we'll publish that other book first, because this one's fucking weird, and that book didn't sell very well, and then he spent a lot of time trying to get his other books, and this one sold, because after the first one kind of didn't work out, uh, they were, it was hard to get it done again. But this one did work out eventually, it just took a long time, and people loved it at the time, probably for the same reason they loved The Grateful Dead, is that they were fucking tripping on balls. Was that the same right. year? 67? So, Grateful Dead was around, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. All right, so the, some of the, we could talk about some of the scenes, I suppose, because some are memorable. Some are interesting. Yeah. Like when he goes in a bookstore and a guy comes in, he's like, hey, do you want to get laid? And he's like, nah. He's like, no, you do. And then gets him to like fuck some guy's girlfriend in front of him. Like a guy comes in with a couple and she's like, hey, let's go upstairs and bang he's like no i have to go take a dump and he like hides in the bathroom for a while it's <laughs> <laughs> basically what happens he's like hides in the bathroom and then he's in and he says i was in there a long time it's like he was dropping a deuce and then he comes out and they're still there and she's naked now and he's like all right well it's a hot one and then he bangs her hopefully he the, wiped well and <laughs> i don't know if rimming was a thing yet it was the 60s i don't know how clean that boy was a very natural musk uh they he bangs the girl and then she's just like, that was great. And then she leaves. And then the boyfriend's like, hey, do you want to have like Chinese food for dinner or something <laughs> stupid? And she's like, it's too early to think about dinner. And then <laughs> you're like, what the fuck was that? And then the bookkeeper, the uh, bookshop owner is like, hey, I know what happened there. And you think he's going to be like, you just took a dump and banged a girl. <laughs> like the American dream. But instead, he's like, you were a soldier from Ohio and you went and fought in the Spanish Civil War. And then you saw Franco and you got mad and you came back and he's like, no, that's not what happened even a little bit. <laughs> and he's like, okay, here's what really happened. And he has like a bunch of... And then he has a different story, entirely different. Oh, here, no, 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 you're right. Here, I, I got it now. Here's what really happened. And I don't remember what the second story was, but it was entirely this other fanciful tale. And then, okay, thanks, dude. And then the chapter just ends. <laughs> oh, that was, okay. Moving right along. Yeah. That was like 5% of that book was that one scene. <laughs> so, and that's th- the only scene that doesn't have to do with Trout. Yeah, there's a lot. Or, or, or Well, there's a guy. So there's a, a character named Trout Fishing in America or Trout Fishing in America Shorty. Those are two is, different people. Yeah, there's two yeah, different there's characters. Two different people. <laughs> so Trout Fishing in America Shorty is a wino, which there are like 11 with, winos. In with the no legs. Yeah, so that's why he's Shorty. <laughs> He's in a wheelchair, and he's just a belligerent drunk. And the ch- as young men or children or something, like, you know what would be funny? If we just put him in a giant crate and mailed him. <laughs> and you're like, oh, sure, why not? And then he comes back occasionally and just is publicly drunk. No explanation why he's named Trout Fishing in America. And then there's... Shorty. Un- <laughs> Shorty. Well, the Shorty is the only part that makes sense of that whole story. <laughs> And then there's the other one who's like writing, occasionally writes letters. Like there'll just be a chapter that's a letter either to Trout Fishing in America or from Trout Fishing in America. Or both. Yeah. It's just a stand in for everything. And I know we're telling this thing totally out of order, but it doesn't matter. It and really then the doesn't. book ends with a letter, but the second to last chapter says, I've always wanted to end a book with the word mayonnaise. <laughs> and then the last chapter is a letter 
that says something like, oh, I'm so sorry, blah, 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 died. And I really didn't even read it. And then P.S. It's like a a poem. And then it was a poem and I didn't read it. And then (laughs) P.S. I'm sorry I did not give back your mayonnaise. Sorry I forgot to give you the mayonnaise. (laughs) The end. That's the end of the book. Like, wow, this is fucking weird. So, okay, I have a beer for this. This is called Other Half. This is a triple mosaic daydream by oh. Other Half. Because I would say daydream is a, a very kind way to <laughs> <laughs> describe how this book feels. It's a fever dream. Acid trip dream. More like that. But uh, this is, and this is like Imperial Oat Cream India Pale Ale. 10.5% alcohol. And it's very nice. Definitely very nice. Apparently... We had said in the past at some point that they just invented oat cream. Apparently, it's a thing because I saw an, a beer article about it. And they're like, is oat cream oh, the really? beer of the future? And I'm like, oh, please don't let it be. Oh, if it's a headline, the answer is no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well listen, that's, they're that's pretty cold. a callback. <laughs> at least the ones the other that other half makes are really fucking good. So I would be okay with it. Oat cream sounds something like a horse ejaculates. <laughs> I think it's OJ's younger brother. <laughs> Can I say, some of my favorite lines I've ever read are in this book, even though I did not like this book at all. <laughs> Early on, he's talking about one of, the, one of the first, the first of many passages about going fishing, sort of. And he talks about this old shack that he passes by that's abandoned. Mm, yeah. Uh, an old outhouse. And it's I like this. The inside of the outhouse was exposed like a human face. And the outhouse seemed to say... The guy who built me crapped in here 9,745 <laughs> times, and he's dead now, and I don't want anyone else to touch me. He was a good guy. <laughs> That's a very specific facial gesture. Like, oh, I see. Made by an inanimate object. By a door. <laughs> you never wanted to hear a sentient outhouse before. But I like how I was made for That's one good, ass and uh, one ass only. What's the old expression? A shitter's worth a thousand words? Uh, yeah, I think that's what it is. I think that, that's... You know, or or 9,745 dumps. <laughs> sentient Outhouse. Good metal band name. Mm. Oh, Sentient Outhouse. That's like a great in- Industrial name. metal. Doom metal? Ooh, yeah. Poop metal. Something like really <laughs> plotting and plopping. Uh, so so yeah. there's a lot of passages about fishing. So before I knew anything about the book... And you know what? If this was an English class, I would pretend that I still believe this. It is very rambly and my, like it, it's stream of consciousness almost at points. Mm. Kind of like the weird thoughts you'd have if you're just by yourself fishing. You know, like he's just standing around daydreaming while he's trying to catch some rainbow trout instead of the shitty German trout they mention sometimes. Mm. But he's like measuring creeks by telephone boxes there's weird shit like yeah like i went to go to the creek but the creek was a staircase (laughs) oh (laughs) i hate it when that happens not again again. (laughs) every time (laughs) uh yeah that's there's bizarre shit and and I honestly, you could you could tell me, and I'll maybe I'll let Jimmy make the case that it means something or attempted to mean something. I think a lot of it is. It, I think it, it attempted not to, to mean sound, something. Well, it certainly accomplished <laughs> that then. Yeah, uh, but a lot of times, it, 
You ever, you ever, you ever watched those? You remember Andy Rooney? Remember that guy from 60 Minutes? The guy who just old, does a rant yes. about the price of milk or like the size of children's shoes these days or some <laughs> shit at the end? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that, that's the guy. <laughs> so I Nailed love, it. I Why love are Andy their Rooney. feet so big? <laughs> so there's a thing that was popular on the internet a while ago where you would just take, they'd edit it so you just get the first sentence and the last sentence of his piece. <laughs> Because he'd always try to have like a kind of engaging hook, and then he has like a weird summary that's also kind of quirky. So, but they but they sound like they have nothing to do with each other. So he'd be like, you know, the other day I was eating an orange, and then they cut, and that's why I think women should wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's cool, dude. <laughs> Sometimes the phone rings in the middle of the night, and the price of gasoline is just absurd. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's not it's far like they from just what it sounds found like. him in an old folks home and just said what are you thinking sir do you want a show <laughs> <laughs> can we give you a show please so a lot of the chapters end like that where it just like like forest gumps and that's all i have to say about that but it's completely nonsensical yeah <laughs> okay so normally this is the kind of thing we would talk about at the end but the afterword of this book is this guy who actually didn't actually meet Brodigan, but actually had an idea about it. And he's a literature professor and stuff. And he says he has a thought about what the book is about. And I'm going to about to argue with this. But anyway, he <laughs> says, in such metaphors, we feel the industrial intruding on the natural world. And the results can be distorting, even hallucinatory. He's saying that Brodigan is, is basically, he's saying America has become so industrial and consumer, but that that's a bad thing and that he really misses the nature and sort of more pastoral nature of, of what used to be America, let's say, in the 1800s. So this is a hippie Walden Pond. Well, this is way better than Walden Pond. I, at least I, I understood Walden Pond. This guy who's, I forget his name, who wrote the, the afterword. It's Billy who, Collins. Billy Collins, that's his name. Yeah. He's saying that, like, that's what, that's what the book is about. And I'm going to say maybe, but also maybe not. There, there was one chapter that was about that. The one where he goes into, like, the, I think he's going to the junkyard, and he sees, like... To buy a used creek? Yeah, like, (laughs) sections of the creek are available for sale, you know, like, whatever, how much for a yard of the creek, and uh, and there's a section where you can buy each of the animals, so you can, like, repopulate it and shit like that. I can see that chapter. The rest of it, uh, yeah, I guess, because that was the vibe of the generation, though. I mean, he he had picked out other, just quotes from other weird chapters where... uh, I mean, he did talk about that chapter, but then he also had quotes from other chapters where he brought in other evidence. And yeah, you could say it kind of shows up in other places too. Like the thing where it creaks and uh, telephone boxes in, in other other ways that sort of uh, industry or technology sort of intrudes on the natural world. And like, yeah, there are some more quotes about it. What I'm arguing with is, is that what the book's about kind of like uh maybe or is that more like a coincidence it's one of the themes but i wouldn't say it's just about that okay i'm obviously an idiot and don't know much about this kind of stuff but i i don't think if i had to guess i would say richard brodigan didn't have a point when he that he was trying to make or that he didn't have a point in mind when he was writing it he just kind of wrote some weird shit and just for the sake of it that's 
That's honestly what I think. I think that to to an extent, there's stuff like this cannot be read without understanding the shit going on at the time and like the movements it was a part of because it's very much a product of that. And I don't know a shitload about it, but uh, one of the big things that this was uh, influenced by was the the Dada movement, Dada, Dadaism, which was... Which is absurdism, basically. Yeah, basically, after World War I, artists and thinkers and people like that figured, like, this has been the craziest fucking thing that ever happened. This is a nightmare. Everything is terrible. And it's almost like nothing makes sense. Like after the absolute destruction of world, the yeah. first world war, which was so much bigger than anything, any war that had ever happened before that like, well, you know what? Nothing matters. This like everything is crazy. Nothing makes sense, which is also a description of postmodernism. So anyway. Yeah. yeah. It was basically that. And it was also, they were saying if, the so-called rational and logical people of the world and countries led to this. Which was very much what the Industrial Revolution was kind of about. Like, yeah. the world is becoming logical and ordered and understandable, and that is what people believed. But then, you know, the countries, the major countries of the world used that knowledge to just absolutely destroy to each destroy other. destroy the earth. And so they were just like, yeah. if that's what logic and rationality has brought us, then there's no reason to be that way, and we must be as irrational as possible because nothing means anything anymore. Like, it just, nothing fucking matters because this is what so-called rationality has done to us. So let's fucking go the other way. And so they started doing as weird shit as possible. But I think an element of Dadaism was, like, with an arched eyebrow. Like, like that Duchamp work fountain where it's just a fucking urinal. It's like, here's my sculpture, guys. I feel like an element of that was like, fuck you. Let's see. We, we're, there's like an element of prankster about it. Uh, yeah, certainly. I don't, think, I don't think it was all. I don't like when you have guys like dressed up as a fish reciting gibberish <laughs> poetry while they like throw spaghetti at each other, like, which is not far from real fucking Dada's crap. No. No, it's not just your friend's modern art uh, theater production. Like, <laughs> You have to get. I have to. I have to think a little bit of that. Is like, let's see what dumb shit we can get away with and call it and and pretend there's no meaning. So why even bother making something with meaning? But something like that, and I am not a fan of modern art or most art in general. I'm not an art person. But let's say with with music or with books, the people that do the weird shit first, they get as weird as they can and as different as they can. And then it kind of finds its way back to like, okay, this is what we can do. And it kind of like finds a middle ground or like it adapts itself to it becomes at least a little bit more like accessible. But there's always going to be people who are pushing it as far as it can possibly go past any semblance of broad appeal or acceptability. Because if you don't have that, you'll never really change anything. So they have to get as fucked up and weird as possible even if they know that they're doing it just to be assholes, which a lot of them are, which is what happens in all art forms. And Dadaism was no exception, except they were definitely weird as fuck compared to other art movements. And like stuff like this, the beats have happened after World War II, which was, you know, after World War I, they were like, this could, this could never be as bad as this. And then World War II happened, and it was like, fuck, we were wrong. Well, not <laughs> only did it happen again, <laughs> but 
by the 1950s, we were deep into the Cold War in which, you know, the United States and Russia had nukes pointed at each other and were threatening to blow each other up at any moment, which also doesn't make sense. Yeah. There was a constant threat of just worldwide annihilation. So... Once again, they're just like, nothing makes sense. Fuck it. Let's just be weirdos. And a lot of the beat guys were just like, let's just drive around, smoke 11 packs of cigarettes a day, bang hobos, and do whatever we want. (laughs) What was it? I've seen the brightest minds of my generation consumed by madness. That's uh, Ginsburg, right? I believe so. And Howl, his big poem. Well, they also wanted to just defy all the conventions that had come before because it hadn't been working out. Much like a beer that's really just an orange soda. <laughs> Any excuse to drink those? <laughs> I bought 24 of these. Uh, is this the last one? You've already done No, it? no, I've only drank four. This is my fifth. I'm taking my time. I actually gave two of them away. But I'm taking my time. But they're so fucking good. This is a Woody's Orange Cream from Evil Twin, New York City. There, there are several mentions of cum in this book, so you could talk about a Woody's cream there, too. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. Connection. The, yeah, there's plenty of cream, both in this book, and I don't think there's actually cream in this, but it's, it's an orange sour ale, but whatever the fuck it is, it's technically beer, but it's not. This is orange soda with alcohol in it, and it's, uh, it's fucking incredible, and when Mike said that they were selling it again, I bought a case. Nice. Oh, the beer, too. <laughs> Is that the one I had to shouldn't count? And since uh, shit was chirpy and weird, this is called Sounds of Color, which, uh, and I guess if you have synesthesia, you could have that. Uh, but this is a gosa sour with watermelon made by Finbeck. And, uh, and sea salt is in there, too. That's really good. Now, we've discussed this before, but gosas are a specific kind of sour, not just a fancy word for sour. They are, and I, I would be... Specific, uh, certainly just from drinking it, uh, I could not tell you what's different about a Gosa versus a Sour versus Berliner Weiss because they seem to get used almost interchangeably. Maybe it's part of the process. I, I think it is. A Gosa, first of all, I know it's named after like the region of Germany it's from. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Or like, and it's, I think it's, a, it's like a warmer fermentation than other ones. I don't know how, how and Gosas are known for having salt in them. But I don't know how strictly modern American brewers are sticking to those terms. And that, that might, it might be kind of like how stout and porter kind of mean different things to different people, but often overlapping things. So we get, there's, there's a lot of explanations we can give about what the book means. Any other good instant stuff in the book that actually happens? There's a lot of talk about the Ben Franklin statue somewhere. The first chapter of the book is an explanation of the cover of the book. Of which my ebook didn't come with that picture. Yeah. Mine so didn't I didn't know what they were talking about. But apparently the cover is a picture of the author in front of the Ben Franklin statue. And a lady on a bench behind him, right? When I read it, I, I honestly I didn't know it was part of the book. I thought it was just an explanation. <laughs> It just said cover, <laughs> and I was like, where's the picture? The cover is literally, it's not even chapter dedication, then chapter one, the cover for Trout Fishing in America. It's like, where's the picture? Yeah, like, they really shouldn't have changed, the, t- changed the cover. That's kind of dumb. So there's a lot of talks about that. Like that statue is one of the things that comes back many times. I like, really the, sure uh, I like the chapters about um, 
Morrisville, Indiana, or whatever the fuck, or as they call it, the John Dillinger Capital of America. That's where John Dillinger was from. And a guy who has a bunch of rats in his basement. So he goes downstairs with a pistol and shoots them all in the face one by one while they eat each other. And then it goes on to another section about fishing. And I was like, And he what? says, like, a random joke to the rats. Like, I watched a movie with this bitch in it. <laughs> and he shoots him. Like, he didn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> and, like, a weird 80s action movie line right before the rats. Like, hey, hope you don't rat on me. <laughs> and then he just <laughs> shot them in whatever it is. So another thing uh, that I noticed that came up, this may actually be even quoted by that guy. I didn't actually, my ebook didn't have the Billy Collins stuff, but there's a passage. There he goes. Eventually, the seasons would take care of their wooden names, like a sleepy short order cook cracking eggs over a grill next to a railroad station. Whereas the well-to-do would have their names for a long time, written on marble hors d'oeuvres like horses trotting up the fancy paths to the sky. I was like, I'm not sure if he's talking about class here or if he's talking about the passage of time in general. Um, mm. Or he's talking about absolutely fucking nothing and he just did Mad Libs here. Or all three. Or all, yeah, he, he nailed all three. But that, that felt like a particularly interesting thing. Like, oh, what's he talking about? Like, this is the first thing where I could kind of start to make some sense of it, though I'm not very confident what I uh, interpreted. Apparently a lot of these are like, things that really happened to him or people he knew. There are stories about shit that happened in his life. They're just told completely out of order with no context and without real names. And sometimes he puts trout fishing in America instead of a person, a place, a thing, an idea, or an adjective. So it's kind of hard to make sense of it. But that was, you know, it was just him telling his stories about shit that he's done. Weird things. Then there is one story about shit. When uh, he sees all the besides the outhouse, well, yeah. Well, when when they're like he's driving and there's a shepherd, and it's like, oh fuck, there's all sheep in the road. And then he goes like, all right, we gotta, we got past it. And then they go back for whatever reason, and he talks about how much shit there is in the road from the sheep. They're just following the shit in the road. (laughs) Yeah, and he says. As if it were a game invented by the sphincter muscle, <laughs> we knew what the score was. <laughs> and I, I kind of felt like um, one of the dumb lines Joe Biden said in that Obama-Biden book, you know, he's like, everyone has two opinions are like elbows. <laughs> what is this? Is this deeper than it is? Am I missing? Am I missing the? the wisdom in this line about sphincter games. <laughs> I think there's a certain amount of, um, you know, folksy wisdom in the whole movement, you know, like, uh, there were very there's big an effort into, to sound um, like, like a homespun wisdom, I think. Yeah. You know, like we're not like, he's not showing off. I don't know if he was very educated, but it's like, there's no effort here to show like, I am a, I went to Cambridge or whatever. You know, no, like I know yeah. a lot about books. It's more like, no man, I'm a man of the people and of the of the of the locality, the, the earth. You know, or some bullshit like that. It was very much like everyone in the movement was all about like experiences and like living basically like borderline homeless and just hoboing around and living doing shit in the moment. Yeah, because they were also like into like. Kind of pseudo Zen, they kind of talked about it a lot, though I think they're mainly into like drugs and partying. But it was very much 
this is all we have. Also, because the world could end at any second. So what? who the fuck cares? And they did not, you know, go to college and, like, learn. And they're just like, I just want to take a fucking old Pontiac and drive across America and work on a farm for a week to get money so I can do a bunch of blow off a hooker and <laughs> then uh, get into a boxcar and drive up and down the coast and that. And that's what they did for years. And a lot of them fucking died young or killed themselves, including Richard Brodigan. Yeah, he killed himself, like, in the early 80s, 84. Yeah, he lived, a, he lived a little longer than most of them. Well, he made it to 50? <laughs> and then he shot himself on the head. The others died of alcoholism or drugs or whatever the fuck. Yeah, I don't think Kerouac would love to be that long. I mean, he's, like, the, the first name you think of for the beats. Yeah, I think he's... That or Chap Lippman. Chap Lippman. That is a reference beats to the me. cartoon show, Doug. <laughs> Nate didn't watch that, I'm guessing. I did not. He no. needed Mo Allowance to watch that show. <laughs> D- Doug was a cartoon show in the 90s, and there's the fiction. The oh, band. I knew what it is, and, it w- and I knew that it was on. I just didn't like it. Because oh, you were 41 at the time, so it wasn't <laughs> for you, dude. <laughs> but it was, uh, there was a band that he likes, and they're called The Beats, and they're like a British rock group. And like one of their albums is called Beats Me. And then <laughs> and the drummer's name is Chap Lipman, which is like the stupidest name. And uh for some reason Jimmy and I remember that detail. Chap Couldn't Lipman was the one who was on the microscopic picture of himself after his gallbladder operation on the cover of Beats Me, which is how they won the contest to go see the Beats. <laughs> Wasn't it like they were in like the trivia, like, what's the name of this album? And he's like, I don't know, Beats Me. And like, that's it. <laughs> it was so tough. And his dog was named Porkchop. Okay, so uh, <laughs> that's also part of the show. His uh, dog was named Trafishing in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's doing a lot of traveling, and it sounds like the Beats did too. And uh, they probably had miles to go before they slept. Or not really, actually, because they just fall asleep wherever they were. <laughs> this is called Miles to Go Before I Sleep. It is an uh, imperial milk stout from Treehouse. That is 9.1% alcohol, so I don't know, it's a borderline imperial. They said I hope it, you have another one of those for our uh, Christmas episode. This beer? This beer? That's, that is a line from a Robert Frost poem about a snowstorm. Oh, yeah, it's Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. That is correct. Was I supposed to save this? <laughs> no, we're not doing that. We're not going to read poetry. Too late. It's a, a po- I, 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 I think It would I, go. I, I, I'm just saying it would go with the Christmas book. I think I've memorized that poem in school for some reason. Like, whose woods are these? I think I know his house is in the village somewhere, right? That, that's that poem, right? Your mother's yep. puss is long, dark, and deep. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got miles to go before I sleep. <laughs> there, uh, so I know from having had to sing this in chorus, uh, an adaptation of this in chorus, that there's a line, my little horse must think it queer. And that horses need to get with the times, but but in chorus, like you pay a lot of attention to where you put consonants at the ends of words, so you don't want like, for example, if, if like a word ends with a T, everyone has to be coordinated with that T, as otherwise you get like and that exactly yeah. So T's and S's are things that we often kind of like rush through when we're speaking. So if you're not careful, that sentence is, my little whores must think it queer. <laughs> and I remember the chorus, you're like, dude, get it right. Like, um, so let's try this beer. It's nice. 
Uh, it does. It, it says it tastes like a melted peanut butter cup. Mm, a little bit. It's pretty good. It's not as uh, decadent as a lot of the other pastry stouts that you got. Who made this one? Treehouse. Mm. But it's pretty solid. Uh, I, I I think Treehouse is a wee bit overrated. Like to wait online for hours just because it's a Thursday to buy beer there. That strikes me as crazy. But it's very good. So uh, uh, the other two, it probably won't finish. But this one I'll work on. You're having a beer per 40 pages of this book. Poor like, poor like 28 pages. <laughs> <laughs> Still felt like a long book, I have to say. Because I checked how many pages were left. I think every three pages. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it felt like a chore, honestly. I, I had no interest in the book at all. I had a really weird thought. So the, these days, people don't read books. They don't. Except us. True. We have read... Uh, and you, noble listener. We, we have single or three-handedly raised the average we of this country's books. We have six hands between us. We have six-handed. We've given our secret away that we all are all one-handed. Basically, the three of us put together are Don't raising the I'm national... The, the fugitive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the three of us together are raising the national average of books read per year. Yes, easily. So people don't read that. But what do they read? Instagram. Kind of. Stories, which are just pictures. One of the most popular things in the fucking world... Lies. ...are reading blogs. People read blogs all the fucking time. It's a terrible word. Yeah, I hate it. It sounds like like a disease Roald Dahl would think of. Like, oh, he suffered from blogs. (laughs) It's like when you (laughs) shit out lizards or something. It's the the (laughs) British word for goiter. Got a wee blog here. (laughs) So people read blogs, as dumb as that might be, but they're very popular. They're small, random, disconnected little fucking things. They sometimes have, you know, a theme. Everyone has like a thing they write about, but it's just little passages about bullshit that happened to them or their thoughts on random shit. I think the majority of blogs that are popular are very specific. They're like cooking blogs or exercise blogs or parenting blogs. Which those at least have a, a, a focus. Yes. So it might be like, here's a funny story today when I was making lobster bisque. Well, all the, all the, the cooking ones, all the cooking ones are, are bullshit. They're just for SEO. They're just so they can put more words in there so they can come up in Google. Uh, but blogs where people write shit. Did like, you remember you just fucking... Uh, cookbook? But <laughs> <laughs> You sent me and Nate earlier this week the old live journal that we used to read when we were in high school. I know, it's so funny. I read the whole thing again. <laughs> Fucking Shemshade. It was just a series of bizarre, horrible stories, all about, you know, six or seven paragraphs long. Did you read any of it, Nate? Not you didn't, a word. Not even the one about the guy cooking poop and pretending it was a hot dog? I did. No, he, <laughs> cook, <laughs> you know, he cooked hot dogs, but they had been in his ass. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he boofed the hot dog I first. <laughs> I didn't even click the link, so I don't know. Well, now you know what you missed. Anything. You got homework. But yeah, so can I can I mark that as a book read in Goodreads? I don't think uh, it's on Goodreads because I'm behind. <laughs> I, d- I don't think it's on Goodreads, sadly, because blogs aren't on it. <laughs> but is, missed opportunity is this book kind of like that? Not exactly, but is it a similar vibe of just like a bunch of disconnected fucking stories that you happen to put together in book form? Sorry, you're saying like could this book have been a just a Twitter account. Could this have been someone's live journal? Could have tweeted this entire book. 
It could have. Maybe not tweets are too short, but it could be someone's fucking posts. Tumblr. This is this that's, this is a Tumblr. That's what it was. This be. is some weirdo's <laughs> Tumblr. I'd only I'd believe it if that weirdo were a talking goat who was on peyote and had a typewriter. Like that then I'm like that that's who produced it. I feel this like blog. goats would have much less uh diverse things to say. They'd mostly be like, I wanna eat that. Ooh, another <laughs> tin can. <laughs> hey, you're gonna finish that tin can? <laughs> How do you like my beard? I'm a goat. <laughs> no, you can eat what's in the tin can. I just want the tin can. They'll also eat what's in the tin to can. To eat. <laughs> I guess that could be true. It's uh, not a direct thing, but it just got me thinking of why does this exist? And I realized, like, shit like this exists everywhere now. They make, they make a little more sense. A different question. Why was it popular in 1967, 68, 69? I think part of it is that it has a lot of shit in it that seems profound, but really isn't. And if you're a young person looking for some sort of purpose, you could find this book. I'm like, man, there's some deep shit in this book. And he talks about... Especially that outhouse. Yes, yeah, that's, that's deep 9, shit. 9,000 shits. There was, it was almost 10,000. You could round it up to 10. Was this the one where they he talked about the outhouse where they had kept throwing garbage into it until it got to the point where it was just full of garbage and they couldn't yeah, poop they, in it anymore? Because they, they couldn't burn the garbage or take it, you know, couldn't just bury it. So they went to the abandoned house and in the outhouse would throw all their trash there and they, and they left only when he says it was so high you would have had to stand on it and squish it down like an accordion to make room for more. <laughs> So yeah, so that's why I think it might be pop, might have been popular with people like, oh, this book seems deep and it's not and it's unconventional, and and he's got he's living like an interesting life, and I want to do some of that shit. Like, he's clearly a hobo or hobo adjacent in this book. Yeah. So people in you know the hate Ashbury hippie world of the mid '60s would have been like, this is exactly what I like. Or other people in America who were interested in the hippie world of hate Ashbury and uh, were interested in learning about more or learning about what things do they like. And this is just so fucking weird that it became probably at least a little bit popular and then it became popular because it was popular. And it's just sort of like, oh, have you read Trout Fishing in America? Oh, what's that? He was a guy that people just knew from around town because he was a fucking giant weirdo. Like he was a big dude dressed like a hippie with like a big hat and strange boots. So everyone like knew him from around town. And so when they said he that, wore that guy like wrote a, a book. Oh, that guy. He wore like a tie-dye shirt and then like, then like 18th century like pants, 19th century pants. Pantaloons. Yeah. He's like a hippie <laughs> slash homesteader. So, so if, you're like, if you heard that... Uh, who's like some random person people know from around town? Like a, just a uh, you. These people don't exist anymore. <laughs> how about how about this? This is gonna be this is gonna be a deep cut. Remember when we were waiting for the bus in Flushing, and there was that guy who played the keyboard and he had no eyes. I do. <laughs> if you heard that that guy wrote a book, <laughs> would you be like, I'm gonna read this book? I yes, I would actually. That's exactly it. It's like he's a guy who's like a legend in these circles. Wrote a weird book. And it's like, fuck, what is it? I want to know. Like the guy from Queen Center Mall who had the hair straighteners. Yeah. Just clap them at people. I don't know if I want to read that guy's book, though. <laughs> he looked dumb. He was, and I don't mean this insultingly, but he was the gayest man I've ever seen. 
I just you could see <laughs> that you radiated. He had never once. He looked at a vagina once, and it's when he was leaving. And he was like, <laughs> "Thank God." <laughs> He would like sashay around this little booth in the mall and had hair straighteners that I think that's what they were selling. I don't know. They were like castanets. And yeah, it was like, yeah. <laughs> he was like a one man flamenco dancer <laughs> slash stylist. <laughs> I mean, we could keep trying to make I mean, sense of it. I, I, I'm it's, out of it's, ideas, it's a kind honestly. of book that you can't really talk about like the random bits of it because they're all just random bits and there's nothing. I'm sure there's, you know, certain symbolism and shit like that. That we haven't mentioned, but it is just a series of three or four page at most, usually maybe one or two longer ones of just random shit. And it's not something that really can be, it has to be seen as like a, a whole piece and not just, it's, it's got a, it's got a vibe and the vibe is what's worth discussing. Another thing that the, the guy who wrote the afterword, uh, Billy Elliot or whatever his name is. <laughs> That's not his name, but I forgot. Every it. time uh, I read it, I thought it was Billy Connolly, that actor. And I was like, why did he write this? Oh, it's a different <laughs> dude. Uh, anyway, one thing that he wrote is that the the hippies, the, the 60s, were the last generation that truly had a counterculture and that every generation since then has is, I don't know, jealous or, you know, wistful or... Or he was trying to say the reason why people have kept reading the book since the 60s is because everybody is looking back to the last time there was a counterculture. And I kept thinking, well, first, is that true? And it might be. But also, is that a good thing? Like, I don't know about that. I don't know if it's the last time. I mean, the punk movement was pretty big. And I'm sure there are countless black cultural movements that I have no experience with. Yeah, I guess by definition to have a counterculture is that you're assuming that there's some sort of culture that is dominant, right? Mm. And then this is in 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 contrast to that. Uh I think modern scholars of sociology or whatever would say like there was no one like we th- we tend to think of like the 1950s of like leave it to beaver world. But that's just that's a myth. That's not really how life was for many many people. Yeah. Almost anybody. In some ways, there's always a counterculture. Maybe it doesn't have like as defined of a like a stereotype that we can live up, like that we can hit in our, in our minds like the hippies were, where it was like, it was a guy with a tie-dye shirt and stupid little purple sunglasses. But every year, every, every minute of our lives, there's some sort of mainstream culture. People who are counter that. But we don't, you know, we're never, never sure what's going to last we still talk about the hippies because, you know, they're still alive, but... They were very influential. And now yeah. they all are, you know, refusing to retire and fucking up the economy. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost... It's also almost as if that counterculture became the culture. A lot of those hippies did so grow up really in, counter like, uh, anymore? Y- yeah, I mean... A lot of those hippies grew up and voted for Reagan. Yeah, a so. lot of them. It's just like everyone else who, you know, did things when they were kids and they grew up and just joined, I guess, what is the mainstream culture? But there's always people who don't, and there's always young people who are rebelling against that. So I think it's probably a little arrogant to say that they were the last counterculture because they weren't. But they're definitely. Uh, Could you make the argument that since the '60s on, what we what you can call counterculture is synonymous with youth culture, right? Like, whereas the Beats weren't well, yeah. teenagers, and 
really the hippies were younger people. Part of because like the idea of a teenage culture didn't really exist before the nineteen fifties. Fifties, yeah. Before so, that, you just joined a you just joined an army and got sent to World War, whatever. Well, he was like, you well, in a you're, factory. You're sixteen <laughs> World now. War Napoleon. Time to have some kids. And yeah, here's your union card, and sign up for that pension. And you're like, and you're like, I'm a grown up now. <laughs> oh, it's time. Almost time to retire. Remember when that happened, Nate? That was crazy. So. The <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> I have no idea what the hell we're talking so, about. So, yeah, I, I, the counterculture for them, I, I don't know if it's always just been kids. It's, I, I have no idea. I'm not a sociologist. I know, that <laughs> always been, but like since then, yeah. Like punk was a young person's thing, new wave was a young person's thing, hippies is a new. One thing that's was slightly different about the 1960s was because of the baby boom. Because there was like a lower, a much lower amount of children being born in sort of like the 30s and the 40s, and then the baby boom happened. By 1968 or 69, something like 50% of the population of the United States was below the age of like 22 or something like that. It was a huge, gigantic, like a major cultural shift just to have so many young people, young adults or nearly young adults, of which even though the actually millennials are an even bigger generation because they're the children of the baby boomers, they're, don't, they, they're a bigger number in terms of population, but they're not a bigger number in terms of percent of the population. So it's just not, doesn't have quite the same because those boomers refuse to die, Nate. <laughs> just or retire. They really, they really suck. <laughs> <laughs> no, they really, they don't hate them all, but but they're really they don't retire, and they just like listen. We need to buy our fourth house, but once they have one, like in the sixties, by being twenty percent or whatever they were of the population, you no, could like fifty. Fifty, excuse me, yeah, twenty twenty. I was thinking the number twenty two age. Yeah, when they're fifty percent of the population, you couldn't you couldn't just be like, those are kids. <laughs> We don't care. Like you had kind of had to be like, oh fuck, we have to. Yeah, like they get a seat at the table when it comes to negotiating things in in terms of culture. Like they have a say. Yeah, and very quickly people were like, we could sell shit to those kids, and then and then they were like placated like the rest of everyone else. Like oh stuff, and then they voted for Reagan. Oh well, you know, even a stop clock is right twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> so this book, it's fucking weird. We have so we presented some theories onto what it's about. Who should read it? If you are into the beat stuff, you go for it. But don't make this your first foray into that, or any of this stuff from this era. It's it's something you need to know more than even we could tell you about. It's worth reading up on. It's an interesting time, and it's a lot of cool shit. And it's uh, it's 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 worth learning about and reading a few things from it. But don't just read this like, I wonder if this is an interesting book and read it without knowing anything because it will just be gibberish. So you know what it reminded me most of? Ask Goblins of Auschwitz. <laughs> <laughs> that ha- sure that had a more plot, Nate. Insulted. <laughs> should, Actually, should the guy who did. wrote that be really impressed? It had, <laughs> it had more of that had more of a plot. That had a through line. Trout fishing in America. Not much of one, but it, there was something there. And they both felt to me like some guy was just like, either I'm just going to stay up all night and write whatever comes to mind. Uh, or 
take a lot of drugs and write while I'm on drugs and maybe then edit it a little in the morning. That's then that's like how the, both these books work there. I want to say that's the most similar book to this that we've read. And I haven't read, uh, the one about Las Vegas, a fucking fear and loathing in Las drugs. Vegas, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. But I assume it's actually kind of like this. That uh, had somewhat of a plot. Yeah. Cause that was like a story of a thing that he really did. Just like, this is the time I did that. So it had a, his stories were oh, Hunter S. Thompson's stories were always the same. Like this is a story where he did all the drugs. <laughs> there was <laughs> none left for changed, anyone else. He just changed the setting. This is the time we did all the drugs in Las Vegas. <laughs> and then like here's a story we did all the drugs hanging out with the Hell's Angels. <laughs> like that, those are it's basically those are the only two I've read. So I don't I actually didn't even finish the Hell's Angel book. Um my uh, last question I have for the book. Does trout fishing in America mean something? Like, where does this title and this recurring mantra come from? Could that be why? I mean, I don't know shit about the history of trout fishing. I think yeah, they don't think they're, like, endangered or anything. People still fish for trout, right? God, I feel like I need to, like, we need to pause for a day and then come back to this tomorrow so I can think about this question because <laughs> I don't know if I have a good answer to this. I think it's just a stand-in for anything you want it to be. It's almost I like... That. Or, or or that he picked the most bizarre phrase, or not bizarre, the most like average sounding phrase to make a, a whole nonsensical book out of. If you were to pick a phrase out of every phrase that's ever been uttered in history, mm. one of the most like sort of like bizarre, or not not just not actually strange, but most are sort of like boring sounding thing would be. Trout Fishing in America. I mean, that is literally <laughs> the title of the most boring book ever written, I think. And not this book I'm talking about, because it's it's not exactly boring, but it's just like, what is the most boring thing you've ever heard of? Trout Fishing in America. So why don't I take that word, that phrase, and then make it into something you would never expect? Yeah. I tried to read, at least the, the ebook that Jimmy sent me, had it forward by Neil Gaiman, and I tried to read it, and I was like, this is not helping. This is not no. making any sense. No, it doesn't. Like, what is he talking about? Yeah, it's, it doesn't, it's not a standard for anything you want. It's a standard for anything he wanted. So he just took a regular story, just fucking took out a word or a person's name or a place or a thing and just put that in or there. Or a shorty. Yeah, or a modified man with no legs. But he just put it in there just to further fuck with things and make it weirder, just to say... I can do whatever I want. I don't have to follow the rules of what a book is. But if you just, you know, took out the name and wrote Frank or Richard, then it would just be a bunch of short stories. I guess. I would also say, it, the book is technically labeled as a novel. I'm not sure it really even meets the definition of a novel. A very experimental novel, perhaps. Well, this was the, uh, this was in the, and the, um, what the fuck was it? The afterword by that, uh, Billy Connolly Collins, George Eliot, Billy Eliot guy. Billy Eliot. Patty O'Rourke. Yeah. McShaney. He wrote, uh, the book's, the book, the book's disregard for novelistic conventions, such as narrative plausibility, dramatic tension, chronology, character development, and logic itself held the promise of a new kind of radical literature immune from the rules and not interested in earning time off for good behavior. Oh, how cute. Is it, does it even meet the definition of a novel then? It's so not a novel, it makes it a great novel. It sounds to me what Billy Collins is saying there. We're saying it's, 
he he was trying to basically defy what it meant to be a novel and just write a thing. And yeah, they call it a novel, but we only call things novels because of the conventions that are that will make a novel. And he's saying, what if I didn't do that? So, fuck you. It's ultimately up to us to read it or not. Or we can say it's not a novel. People say it is a novel. In the end, he wrote it. People fucking read it. And he got his point across that maybe he just wants to... That the kind of the, I guess the point is to start the discussion. Maybe. Or maybe he was just full of shit and liked acid. Who the fuck knows? Also a possibility. It's like when I was in school and we were analyzing uh, fucking Charlie Parker's jazz solos. Like, oh, you see what he did here is he implied the chord four, four chords ahead by doing these things. And it's like, no, he didn't. No, he was just playing stuff that sounded cool in the moment. He was playing a thousand notes a minute. He was not saying... Every everything was like telegraphing the future. It's just sometimes you justify it afterwards. Mm, I'll buy it. It's art. You'd make, people afterwards will argue about it longer than it took them to fucking make it up. I guess a similar question too: Who should read it? Is if someone came up to you and said, "Hey, what's a book I should read? Would you recommend this one?" No. Never. Been, <laughs> no. No. Unless I didn't like, like that person. I'd recommend Even you just fr- don't read books. If he was like, should I read Trout Fishing America or not? I'm like, just don't read any books. <laughs> and I like books. <laughs> I'd rather you not read a book. I want to read this book this week. Don't read any books this week. Take it off. Think about fish. <laughs> think about You'll the, get think about more the out concept of, of fish. And taking a shit in an outhouse. <laughs> Maybe that was the clue all along. He's telling us this book is shit. Maybe we're the outhouse. Maybe we maybe we <laughs> are full of shit. I think he was full of shit. <laughs> that honestly. is a that is a possibility. I think he is I think this is this is this whole book is full of shit. It just it just felt like I've read some other books from the sixties, whether like Philip K. Dick stuff or um Well, he did sci fi. But still, uh uh was I getting uh Ballard? Guy, um, the atrocity exhibition, like these are, like, it just it has this feel, like these sixties, late sixties, uh, fucking experimental books. It has this extremely dated feel about it, and it's like, oh, look how clever I'm being, and you're like, meh, you're not being clever when you say nothing in a smart way. Like that's that's not being clever. I, I just. I, we're, I don't, we're also I don't reading find it, it in, so much later that at the time it was insane. Like, I'm sure if there's people doing weird stuff now, we'd be like, what the fuck is this? And then in 50 years, people were like, that was some bullshit. Look how dumb this is. I still think it's insane. Yeah, but I mean... I, it's just insane bullshit. <laughs> it was bullshit then, and it's bullshit. I don't think it was... I don't think it was in the moment if I had a time machine, like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> no, it was fucking dumb then, too. Just people... Yeah. We're hungry for a different variety of bullshit, perhaps, than we, we clamor for today. No one should read this book, <laughs> if I didn't make that clear. <laughs> I would not tell someone to read this book, no. I didn't dislike it. I didn't like it. But, yeah, I'm not going to recommend someone read this. It's too fucking out there for just, like, a casual reader, definitely. I don't think we're casual readers, and it was too out there for us. Yeah. You need to be in a class for this. And I just kind of has a, have a, I think, a rule now. If a book only makes sense or anything only makes sense when you have 
to study it in depth, then maybe it's not worth reading or experiencing. I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I, prove me wrong. <laughs> I, I mean, I, everyone's different. I can't... I mean, if you... I, I certainly wouldn't read a lot of those things that you'd have to study either. But I don't think that means that people shouldn't if they want to or if they really can get something out of it, if they really can get a lot out of it by putting way too much time into it, sure. I'm not going to do that either, but I think that there's, I think there's room. So I think there are things that you can get more out of in a class. Like when we read, I don't fucking know, War and Peace, like that was a slog and it was boring, but it was fine. It had passages that were okay. You got the story at the end. If I had been in a class where we spent a semester on it, I would have gotten a shitload more out of it. But I got enough out of it on its own that I understood the gist of the book. It also helps that he gives you a 100-page essay at the end of it. Here's the gist of the book. <laughs> but for this book, I got nothing out of it on my own. Like, the only way to appreciate this book for me, would have, I think, would have been to have someone hold my hand the whole way. And I just, that, I personally don't like that. It's fair. I didn't get really anything out of it. I thought I thought lines. learning That's why about I didn't give it one star. Yeah, it, it, it had some good stuff, and it was you know it was it was fucking weird. It was well written for the gibberish that it was, but I thought learning about it was more interesting than the book itself. Me too. Yeah. Well, are we at the end? Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail dot com. Follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc, or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you've listened this long, why not leave a review wherever you are listening to this and uh, make it five stars, one for at least each time they say the phrase trout fishing in America in this book. You could make it trout fishing in America stars out of trout fishing in America stars. Uh, and you can also give us money on Patreon uh, in the form of trout fishing in America or regular money, <laughs> but mostly trout fishing in America. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent trout fishing in America. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks for listening.